Support comes from the Missouri Forest Products Association. Missouri produces wood pallets, railroad ties, white oak barrels, hardwood floors, and more. Details on the variety of products made in the state are at ChooseWood.com. This is St. Louis on the Air from St. Louis Public Radio. I'm Elaine Cha. There's a certain magic in the love humans share with animals they welcome into their lives. In just a bit, we'll hear some of your stories. But first, here's Aaron Dorr, our show's audio engineer, remembering his beloved dog, Talus. Ever since Amy and I said goodbye to our little white dog last month, I've noticed the squirrels and birds more comfortable in the yard, and it freaks me out. He was a small, short-haired, beagle-eared terrier mix with loud chihuahua eyes. He patrolled the yard. He patrolled the whole block. It's not the stillness in the air, but how our house breathes differently now. We both do. Yes, there are words for this type of thing. Our family has a new rhythm now. He was a spry 14 who liked to swim and dig and play. Yeah, you wanna go swimming? I did think about him dying. I think about myself dying. I always thought he would kinda wander out back and dig a hole in the pampas grass and just, you know, when he was ready, kinda sleep into it would be best. I moved through life assuming that's how it'd go. Amy sees old dogs walking slowly behind their owners and wishes we would have had some of those days too. There was no real consensus in the house on whether he was a young 14 or an old 14. We'd sputter out feelings. Part of the problem was that he bounced back so fast, no matter the hardship. We raised him since he was an eight-week-old puppy. And then we had to say goodbye. It was a weekend out of the blue, and then he's not here right now for the rest of my life. I was a quiet mess at work, inconsolable mess in private, forcing myself to talk to people. Somewhere in there, a coworker stopped me in the hallway and gave me a memoir he had written about the dogs he and his family have raised. It was an awesome hug of a gift. The memoir is Three Great Dogs, One Great Life, and its author is St. Louis Public Radio politics editor Fred Ehrlich. And Fred joins me now. Fred Ehrlich, it is really good to talk with animal people right now. Well, thank you. And uh, boy, your introduction there really, really touched my heart. It was I think kind of like uh, permission to do things like that. Like I kind of wanted everybody to know, but I didn't want to tell anybody either. And so this is kind of like the audio production in me way of like going through life, actually. Kind of like how you do with writing, right? Exactly. Uh, This book was a 2022 memoir. Um, It could actually use some updates because the three dogs therein have 
Well, explain. Well, the last dog in the book, and the book wraps up really with moving and getting a, a new a new dog, moving on, and uh, unfortunately, that dog, you know, had has passed away. We had to put him down, but we now have a new dog in our life. So the the circle continues. Transition number three. Uh, the first transition you had to deal with um, involved the dog that you and your wife had before kids. And you thought maybe that your family was complete when you did have those kids and that you wouldn't need another dog. I want you to read page 13 and 14 where you're talking about this uh, in your memoir. So our our first dog uh, was a beautiful golden retriever named Maggie. And, you know, having to put her down was and and still is the all these years later one of the hardest things I've ever done. Um, I hated coming home and not hearing her scrambling down the hall to greet me. I decided there couldn't be another dog for me and even if there was I couldn't go through having to lose one again. Uh, I thought Maggie would be our first and only dog but I was wrong about that and fortunately so. So you were getting the blanket out of the car, and you you wrote, it was a half wail, half plaintive cry. I don't know that I've ever sounded like that in my life. It seemed to scare the kids a little bit. Wendy tried to assure the kids that I was okay, just so sad about losing Maggie. Is this the first time that they saw you cry? Um, I'm not sure. Um, I, I, truthfully, I just don't, I don't know. Probably at a, maybe a family funeral or something like that. Um, uh, I will say, <laughs> uh, this is going to sound a little odd, I, I am kind of a crier. I get emotional uh, about happy things and, and about sad things. Uh, but it was definitely, I think, the first time that they had ever seen me that upset when we had to put Maggie down and you know come home after. Did you think about Maggie being put down or Maggie dying while she was still with you? Did you think about that a lot? Um, I tried not to think about it, of course. Uh, You just, you know, the terrible thing about dogs is that they just can't live as long as we do. And um, so, you know, you have to accept that ultimately that you are going to lose them at some point. You hope to have them for a good long time. Um, But but yeah, I, you know, I, I, I did think about that as, uh, you know, she was getting older. She was about 12 or 13 when she died and, and she'd been through a lot. And uh, people always said that when you have a dog and it's time, you'll know it. And, um, and they were right. Um, came down for breakfast on the mor- one morning and she had, uh, she had, peed on the floor and she was laying in her pee, you know, which is obviously uncharacteristic. And I tried to, you know, get her up and couldn't get her up. I tried to give her a treat. She wouldn't take a treat, which was really uncharacteristic. And uh, you just just know, you know, that she was alive, but the life was out of her at that point. You're right. Just like when you have one child and then you have another, you don't love one more than the other. Your love expands to cover both. So getting another dog after losing one requires a balance of proper grieving and understanding how grief works. It took me years to understand this. Being a dog lover means a lifetime of dogs, not a dog for your lifetime. First of all, you could do well at Hallmark with some of that. (laughs) Uh, I'd not heard that line before. Did you come up with that? I I did. Yeah, Yeah, that that was original. And it's how I feel. And And it took me a while to get there. 
Um, I, I will say that I have a, a very good friend in Florida, a fellow dog lover, and um, his philosophy, he's had many dogs in his life, it was just what I was talking about before, that they can't live as long as humans. So, you know, you just have to appreciate it uh, while you have have them and uh, know that and love them and they love you. And at some point it's going to be over, but that's okay because you've given the dog a great life and they've given you all this unconditional love. And then you get another one and that one is going to have a different personality and it's going to be a whole nother start over and uh, it's going to be good. The three golden retrievers on the cover of this memoir, uh, how'd you decide on the pictures? Um, well, I just thought that all of them reminded they all had different personalities. They all had, uh, uh, fun personalities in general. Uh, there's, there's a picture that's not on the cover, but it's in the book of, of, um, Elsa, who was kind of a, uh, I would call her a, a, a firecracker. And, uh, she was actually born on the 4th of July, ironically. And one of the few dogs that I've known is not f- afraid of fireworks. But anyway, I bring this up because we had one day we came out, we had our, our deck, we had a, a table out on the deck. And there was Elsa, she's very young, she's a puppy, maybe a couple months old, was standing on top of the table, just like looking at us. I don't know how she exactly got up there. Uh, but she did. And, uh, you know, so the pictures that are in the book all try to tell a little bit, or I think represent a little bit of their personalities. One of the things that's helped me is um, a suggestion I found reading an article uh, was to take, and we have, um, well now Amy and I have 708 pictures and videos in a shared album on our phone. Um, Of those, I fixed up 332 for an album that shuffles them into my lock screen on my phone. And so Amy does this also where every hour we kind of just can check and say, hey, what do you got? What do I got? So here he is. Uh, just a close-up of him sleeping on the couch looking out the window. But um, what kind of digital artifacts did you feel like you had to clean up and make room for? Was that a process? Um, it it was more for my wife than for, for myself. She's like the keeper of the photos and all that stuff in our house. Um, we... We, we do have the ashes from all the dogs in the house and things like paw prints and we have pictures and you know, the house is filled with, with really re- remembrances and reminders of them. And it's really, it's really a wonderful thing to, to you know, just kind of look up and, and, and take a minute sometimes and, and just remember. There's two icebreaker conversations that I need to have with my wife, Amy. One is, um, what are we going to do with the ashes? And uh, one is, when are we going to get another dog? Who, um, who breaks the ice about those conversations? Was, was that something that you were like tiptoeing around for a little bit? Um, I did because uh, I knew that, you know, all these all these dogs were were so special to my wife as as they were to me, uh, but in, she was uh, she was an at home mom for a lot of the time we had the dogs had and so she was with them a lot more overall than I was and had a special bond uh, with with really uh, with really all of them but but especially those those two um, and. 
I did have to approach it carefully. Like, you know, I've been married for a long time now, 37 years. So I think I'm pretty good at reading my wife. (laughs) But you just have to know what to say, when to say it, how to say it. So I was I tried to be careful about it. I didn't want to push her. Um, You know, it, it was it was the conversations were difficult because Except for the first, after the first dog, after Maggie died, like I said, I was the one who was resistant. But after our second dog, um, Elsa died, and um, I, I was more, um, I, I was ready sooner than she was. And so I kind of just approached it slowly and with that in mind. You know, humans practice sharing their feelings, and some people aren't good at it, and some are. Um, I think there's an innate value in the grounding, the type of companionship from a dog provides because they don't have to practice sharing their feelings. They're always reflecting back the the true selves um, from whatever we give them. Did you notice that right away? I did. I did. And and one of the dogs, and this is obviously, you know, was a very, very difficult time in our life to deal with that. This was, this was uh, Elsa. She developed bone cancer at, uh, at 10. And um, the treatment was amputating one of her legs. And the, the, the first, you know, when the, when the veterinary said, you know, that's her best chance at survival, my first reaction was absolutely not. But um, dogs, you know, one of the things that they teach us, and I, and I share this quite a bit in the book, is resilience, moving forward, uh, not as we do humans being so concerned about how we look, because they don't have those feelings, right? Um, as far as we know, since they can't talk. <laughs> and I think that when I thought we finally came around to that treatment for Elsa, and she and she did have the, the uh, leg amputated, it's, a, it's just another lesson in what they share. That they under that they would just move on from things that are difficult and be the best uh, be the best dog that they can be, and that's how it was. Elsa was fine. That you know, I don't know how many three-legged dogs you've seen, but they they get around like it's like nothing happened. It, it it's it's the craziest thing. It's 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 uh, it's it's just amazing to me. This might have come up when people were uh, wishing you sympathy. Um, during transitions um, or hard times with your animal. Um, But you might have been able to sort out animal lovers from non-animal lovers, people who get it and people who don't. Um, That's actually an interesting theme in your book and one that surprised me. I was like, oh, Fred has it out for people who don't get animals. (laughs) Um, You said, to this day, right or wrong, I will silently judge people on whether they are animal lovers. I'm not saying you're a bad person if you don't like animals, but I will always wonder about you. Uh, you know, I wrote that and uh, I believed it. Some people may not may not like it. I don't want to appear, you know, too harsh or, like I said, too judgmental. But um, I guess there's a part of me that I've gotten so much from from dogs, and I know how people love. All their animals, their their cats, their parakeets, their lizards, wh- whatever, and the the bond between animal lovers and their pets is so strong that I just there is a part of me that's just doesn't quite understand why uh, people don't understand that. I'm, I don't know a different way to explain it, um, but you know that's how I think. 
That's St. Louis Public Radio politics editor Fred Ehrlich talking with audio engineer Aaron Dorr. Fred's 2022 memoir, Three Great Dogs, One Great Life, helped Aaron open up during his period of grieving. After the break, we'll hear from you. This is St. Louis on the Air on St. Louis Public Radio. Support comes from Missouri Forest Products Association, committed to sustainable and sound conservation of the state's forests, which support more than 41,000 Missouri jobs, resulting in a $10 billion industry. Choosewood.com. Welcome back. Let's return to the conversation between STLPR's Aaron Dorr and Fred Ehrlich. Before the break, they were talking about Fred's memoir, Three Great Dogs, One Great Life, which helped Aaron grieve the loss of his own dog, Talus. Here's Aaron. So we asked for your stories, and here they are. Um, I want to play one I got from Monica. Um, This actually starts out with her little kid saying that he loves his dog, and um, Monica reflects afterwards. I love playing with my dog, Maple. I love having dogs as part of our family. I think about playing catch, snuggling with Easton when I was pregnant, and Maple following our son around everywhere. And now watching the kids grow up experiencing that sort of play and love and affection, it's just hard to put into words, especially since we miss Easton every day, how significant and special it all is. I mean, what a good example of pure love and um, dogs are just always happy to see you. And when they get along with your children, it must be the best thing in the world. You know, absolutely. I said I had, I have two kids that are grown now, but uh, they were young when most of the time when we had our, our dogs. And, uh, you know, they're, the dogs become part of the family. They really they really do. And we treat them often like our children. And the interaction then between our children and the dog, as, as uh, Monica just uh, described, is special. And it's a special kind of love, too, I think, that especially a, a young child has for a dog. We got this from Beth. She was going through a rehab with her dog a lot of times the dogs help us through our traumas, and this is um, the other way around. Here's Beth. He was three years old and had come from some very difficult circumstances um, that left him um, pretty traumatized, and the, it made the world a very scary place. He had some pretty significant psychological and behavior issues that we worked really hard to help him overcome. And although he was an extremely intelligent dog and learned so quickly and could do any trick we taught him, could do any puzzle or game that we played with him, he was unable to overcome that trauma. And uh, sadly, we, we chose to euthanize him after six years of exhausting all available veterinary and behavioral treatment. What he taught me was perseverance. He taught me determination. He taught me unconditional love. And he taught me that 
no matter how hard I try, there are some things that I won't be able to do and some issues I won't be able to solve. Yeah, and we got another message from Ace um, who went through some guilt about that. Um, Guilt over feeling like you should be able to ease their suffering or even prevent it. Uh, Is that something that people said your book helped them with? Well, not only that, but it it helped me, actually. Uh, I write about that in the book. When I make the point, again, getting back to, to Elsa, the dog with the cancer, we had her leg amputated, and she was doing great. And then, unfortunately, the cancer had spread and came back, and then there's nothing nothing we can do about it. So about four months after the amputation, she she died. We, we had to put her down. And that was so hard after what we had put her through. Like, we felt awful. Like, should we have not done it in the first place, for example? Um, and I think what that taught me and what I heard – from um, the woman before was, you know, sometimes your best isn't good enough, no matter what you do. And unfortunately, sometimes with dogs, and again, you know, one of the reasons I wrote this book was just to talk about the lessons that I learned from having dogs was sometimes you just have to accept reality, no matter how hard it is, when you've done all you can, and then move on. And that's that's life. We got a uh, message from Lynn who talks about her special companions. I want to hear this. I grew up with dogs. All my life we've had a dog. In fact, for 40 years we had Australian shepherds. When our last dog died, it took a while for us to get another one. And we ended up (laughs) with a great Pyrenees. He was an adult rescue dog, and he was something. He was just beautiful. We'd only had him for, I don't know, about a month. And uh, he heard a noise when he was out walking, and he jumped in front of me. He wouldn't let me walk until he figured out what was going on. That was really special to me. And yes, we've had dogs die. It's hard to get over it. The last one was the hardest. I don't know if we'll get another dog, but they are special companions. She said that she's had 40 years of Australian shepherds, and you've had so many years of golden retrievers. And when I browse around, uh, Facebook really wants me to know about all the adoption agencies in St. Louis all of a sudden. And... um, all the ones that I want to share with my wife all look like Talus. I, I guess I can't help but wanting to replace that in some way. Um, talk about the temptation to stick with the breed that you know. Well, it's, it's interesting that you say that, and this isn't in the book because it happened after I wrote the book. So we now have a fourth dog. His name is Otis. He's a rescue uh, he's a mutt. He's not a golden retriever. Whoa! Uh, which was a big departure for us, obviously. Uh, but uh, my my daughter, who is uh, the veterinarian at the uh, Animal Protective Association's uh, 
St. Louis County Adoption Center was keeping an eye out for us when when we lost our, our last dog. For And we were kind of looking for a golden retriever, but as you can imagine, golden retrievers are so popular, they, they don't come in to the animal shelter a lot. But she just, she met this dog. He kind of captured her heart. And when we met him, it was the same thing. He's a, like I said, he, he's a mutt. He, uh, I would describe him as a St. Louis brown dog. He's much smaller than a golden. He's about 35 pounds. But he's sweet and he's, and he's loving. And I cannot stress enough the, the need to uh, adopt dogs. There's so many dogs out there looking for good homes. And I, and I say that as someone who had, um, you know, two purebred uh, goldens first and then um, our, our third dog, Ranger, was a golden. He was a rescue um, Actually, the rescue group—it's uh, called Love a Golden in St. Louis. One wonderful, wonderful group. They were called, and the the owner who had him said, "If you don't pick up this dog today, I'm going to shoot him." And th- they told us this happens all the time. Unfortunately, it's crazy. Um, but they, the rescue group, got him, and then and then we got him. And uh, I just can't say enough about rescues. Uh, it's kind of a cliche. But I'm going to say it anyway. Uh, I'm not sure whether we rescued Ranger or he rescued us, because he, when he came into our lives, we were we were we were we had a, we had holes in our heart. We were wanting another dog, uh, and then he came in and just you know filled our home with such joy and love. We really do rescue each other. That comes up in uh, your book and, and the messages that we get, um, whether it's people going through something that they need uh, support with. I'm thinking of Nicole. Uh, she sent this message about the support and companionship that she found. I have learned from my pets that their love is unconditional and you can always count on them to be there for you. It's kind of crazy but also amazing how much they can sense they can sense when you're happy they can sense when you're sad or afraid and I remember when I was going through a really tough time a few years ago one of my dogs literally like did not leave my side and that goes to show just how supportive dogs can be and it's a pretty powerful thing Do you ever feel protected by the Goldens that you wrote about or even um, the puppy that you have now, Otis? Yeah, I mean, the Goldens are, you know, known for being so um, family dogs and everything. And uh, but, you know, when somebody comes to the door and all the dogs start barking, uh, you you know, and, and so there is there is that aspect of protection. I mean, I never was involved in anything where like somebody was threatening and like the dog, you know, snarled or intervened or not, but I, I felt confident that that would happen with any of the dogs we, we'd have. You know? you know, I noticed that too, um, where I was uh, just alone in the house and you hear the creaks and stuff, um, and then you don't hear the response to the creaks mm-hmm. and you feel like um, you were being taken care of with a dog who would have barked at whatever the sound was that interrupted the silence. Um, and, you know, going for walks, uh, we don't have the the lookout dog. And I think even without going through a, a, pro, uh, a personal trauma, uh, you do feel like more than companionship, but you feel like someone's literally got your back. 
Let's play one last clip. Let's hear from Monica. Uh, this is her talking about the two pets that she has uh, in her life. Okay, I'm going to be brave. So, actually, it, it's weird talking about this particular topic because it makes me very sad because I know at some point I'm going to have to say goodbye to my best friend. But in the meantime, you know, I'm going to enjoy them while I have them. And, um, I think that's probably the one thing that I've learned is to just live day by day like he does. And he's always just happy. I mean, I've seen him slip on ice and eat it. I've seen him fall down steps. I've seen him eat things that made him sick. I've seen him crash into walls, hit his head on things, and he's just always happy and smiling. And I just kind of try to live my life the same way. Just the constant love, even during the darkest times, have meant so much. You know, they're they're not just pets. They're family. Dogs are amazing. We just, we don't deserve them. And I, I can say that about cats, too. I had a cat for 17 years, and that little turd was so mean to everybody but me and my daughter torment everybody else but not us so i have been very blessed by the two pets i've had in my life does it count um as a animal person who quote-unquote gets it if it's a cat yeah yes whatever cats count (laughs) cats count everything everything counts lizards uh snakes whatever whatever you want to give love to and get love back from an animal or companionship, uh, it, all, it all counts. It's all good. Fred Ehrlich, a co-worker of mine who stopped me in the hall to give me a memoir you wrote about life with dogs during my bereavement, I needed that, and you made a big impact on me, and I really loved talking with you. Well, I appreciate you having me on and, uh, and sharing you know, my story and your story. Um, I, you know, I, I, I know how much love people have for their pets, and uh, and I know how hard it is to lose lose them. Today's episode was produced by Aaron Dore, recorded and edited by our executive producer Alex Hoyer. This podcast was mixed and edited by Aaron. St. Louis on the Air is a production of St. Louis Public Radio. Understanding starts here. St. Louis on the Air proudly supports local artists by using music from Life Creative Group. Do you find yourself regularly listening to episodes of St. Louis on the Air? Suggest us to a friend you think might enjoy our conversations. And leave us a review and rating on Apple Podcasts on the App Store. It's the simplest way to help people discover our show. Thanks. St. Louis Public Radio is a member-supported service of the University of Missouri-St. Louis.
Support comes from Missouri Forest Products Association, committed to sustainable and sound conservation of the state's forests, which support more than 41,000 Missouri jobs, resulting in a $10 billion industry. Choosewood.com.